Amen. Uh, do turn with me uh, in your Bibles uh, to Luke at chapter 13, if you have your Bible with you. And um, Luke chapter 13, and we're going to read uh, the first five verses uh, together. I'll just give you a second to turn that up. Luke 13, verses 1 to 5. And this is what God says. There were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tar in Siloam fell and killed them, Do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Sobering words from Jesus for a sobering time. People often ask questions in times of difficulty that they never ask in a time of plenty. Uh, Questions about life, questions about death, uh, stop and think questions, uh, take stock and consider where we are questions. Questions of God too, of course. Where was God when that happened? Uh, Why did God allow this to happen? Uh, If God is good, then why this situation that we currently face? As Christians, we believe in a sovereign God. That is the only God that the Bible presents. That's the only God that we read about in the Bible. Uh, One who is in control. Uh, Psalm 115 verse 3 says, Our God is in the heavens. He does as he pleases. In Ephesians chapter 1 we read of God who works all things according to the counsel of his will. All things. As Alistair Begg said on Wednesday evening, uh, the the atheist has no problem with pain. Uh, No God, then no problem. Uh, Just particles bouncing around. uh, Random acts of great and terrible. But for the Christian, we cannot easily wriggle out of questions of God in in these circumstances, uh, certainly in our own head, if not vocally. And it's to such a thing that we turn today. Many people have indeed wrestled with these questions, these issues, and, and written about them down through the centuries. That's because it's a complicated matter. One of the best ways to get your head around something complicated is to try to simplify it as much as you can. You you take what you knew already and you seek to build from there. For example, if I wanted to teach a child how to count, uh, I would give them something they're already familiar with. uh, So there's less new. Um, You you, you set some familiar objects in front of them and and you say, look, those are your toy cars or or those are your uh, toy teddies. And you say, and you point to the first one and you say one and you point to the next one and you say two and three and you take it from there. You build from what they already know. When we see things happening around us, tragic things, it it confuses us. and, And the question of why is usually in our minds. Why do these things happen? Why did Grenfell happen? Why did the tsunami strike the Indian Ocean? Why are we locked down and dealing with a virus pandemic in our country today, indeed indeed across our world? And we try to build from what we know. And what we're used to is quite a tight cause and effect sort of world. When things go wrong, there's a reason. I, I turn the knob up too high, I burn the toast. 
I, I drive over a piece of metal on the motorway and I get a flat wheel. I, I break the law and I get fined or put in prison. I make a bad decision. And the consequences can pretty much directly be traced. Uh, a to B. Cause and effect. So we assume from that position that there must be a traceable reason for something like 9-11 or the Manchester Arena bombings or COVID-19 that we can figure out. We're used to that. So on the same basis we say, who broke the law? Who broke the law? And it's no different in Jesus' day. In Luke 13 this morning we consider firstly when tragedy strikes. When tragedy strikes. Jesus is in the middle of a block of teaching in, in Luke uh, to the crowds in Luke's gospel. And, and here in chapter 13, shocking events are on people's minds. Stories from the front page of the, of the local papers are on people's lips. And they want Jesus to comment. They want the holy man to respond. They, they, want, him to, they want Jesus' take on them. They, they want him to help them with the confusing question of why. Why has tragedy struck Jesus? There is firstly in verse 1, if you see it there, the story of, of misery among some Galileans. We know very little about this event. Uh, the, the details are light uh, here and it isn't mentioned anywhere else in the Bible. But, but clearly some people from up north in Galilee were involved in sacrificing, presumably, uh, to God at some of the uh, festivals. And Pilate, the Roman governor who gets much more airtime later in the Gospels, uh, he, without being too graphic, he's wiped them out Verse 1 says he's mingled their blood with their sacrifices. Why did this happen, Jesus? Of course, you could blame the wicked and evil heart of Pilate, and you should. Yet God is still able to overrule. He's still sovereign, and if he's got the whole world in his hands, then he's got the whole world in his hands. So that complicates matters, doesn't it? But what about something akin to more... uh, Something more akin to an accident. That's, that's harder again. Uh, who, who do you blame then? Uh, and, and that's just the case. Uh, in, in the second disaster mentioned to Jesus, this time in Jerusalem, uh, in verse 4, Jesus is asked for a response to the incident when a tar in Siloam fell and 18 people lost their lives, sadly. Again, we know very little about this incident. But it's the case that it's in but, 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 but it is the case that, that in an accident like that, it's not so easy to point the finger of blame. So why did it happen? Why did God not stop it? Now consider, secondly, this morning, when questions abound. Jesus gets where they're coming from in verse 2. He understands what's going on. He knows the train of thought that people are on. He, he knows the way people are thinking. He comes up with this uh, sort of rhetorical question that gets to the heart of it. Do you think that these Galileans, he says, were worse sinners than all the other Galileans? Because yes, they do think that. Was God judging them by allowing Pilate to be evil and allowing the tar to fall on them? People thought, yes. You see, lots of people in Jesus' day believed that tragedies and indeed physical sickness and and ailments were a result of your own level of sinfulness. Even the disciples think this way. Uh, We know that from John chapter 9 in the first two verses when when they meet uh, a man who is blind from birth. And straight off the bat uh, they ask Jesus, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind They assume that that was the reason for his blindness, trouble for him or or for his parents because of their sinfulness. Jesus knows people think this way. 
He says, do you think the reason that some were killed by Pilate's men while they performed their sacrifices was because they were worse sinners than others in Galilee? In the second tragedy, it's a similar matter. Do you think that the 18 who lost their lives were worse offenders than, than all the others? And people think this way, don't they? People draw neat lines between tragedies and what they think or assume God is judging or is doing in that. I've heard people say it, maybe you have too. But can you do a simple cause and effect? Can you pick a terrible event and say that those we lost are being judged directly? That that the reason for COVID-19 is because of the wickedness of the West? Are we allowed to come to those sort of conclusions? I remember Hurricane Katrina back 15 years ago in the southern United States being blamed on a certain group doing a certain thing in New Orleans. Uh, Bad sinners doing bad things. Of course, God does seem to do things like this sometimes. In the early part of Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira are, 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 are put to death because they lied about their giving. But we only know that because God specifically tells us so in his word. Yet Jesus doesn't allow people to jump to such conclusions when he doesn't specifically tell us so. Does he? It's not wise to read things like that. Jesus doesn't allow them to hold that the reason for Pilate's brutality on them was their place at the top of the league of sinners. He doesn't allow them to hold to the actions of the 18 contributing directly to their own demise. Jesus doesn't allow us to draw a straight line between a specific judgment and a specific sin. He doesn't allow us to lay the blame like that. For it's more complicated than that. I want to outline two reasons. One in the text and the other flowing out of what's in the text to help you see this. The first is universal sin. It's alluded to in verses uh, 2 and verse 4. Were the Galileans worse sinners? On whom the tar fell, are they worse offenders? Not are they sinners or offenders full stop, but are they worse? For of course, the point is we're all offenders. The point is we're all sinners. Romans 3.23 All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You, You cannot have it that specific sinners are the ones being specifically judged. For the problem with that is that if if that's the case then there's not one of us would escape instant judgment. For we're all sinners. We'd be gone in an instant. For God is that holy. So you can't say that. The virus of sin is not just affecting so many percent of the population. It affects 100% of the population. There's not an innocent party on the planet. And Christians, of course, are not sinless either. First John tells us in plain and simple language, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So where, where does it end? You could have a good go at grading sins. Yes, there are sins that are particularly grievous and damaging to life and society, and you could name them, but but it's a fruitless exercise ultimately for remember that one sin is enough uh, to separate any one of us from holy God. And Jesus doesn't allow the, the, the Galileans to be graded here. He doesn't allow it. Jesus in another place tells us our actions come out of a sinful heart. So that sets us all on a level footing. Lost and and guilty and and still sinning. Even as Christians. As we still battle that old man, that old woman. 
The second reason comes out of that, that comes out of that is that Christians get sick too. We cannot say that all Christians will be shielded from this virus or any, any other trouble. We cannot misapply Psalm 91 and say, No evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague shall come near your tent. Those are physical promises for old covenant people. And as, as much as we'd love to, we can't do that. No, our role is not to escape all the trouble in the world. That is not the gospel. That's a false gospel. When Adam and Eve sinned, they broke the world. Our role is, is, to, have, is to be led through by, led through by our Saviour. Yes, he's often and wonderfully gracious to us. But this place is no heaven, remember. Heaven is to come. Heaven awaits the Christian. Heaven awaits the follower of Jesus. Heaven awaits the one who has turned from their sin and and has turned in faith and trust to Christ. Heaven heaven awaits the one who who knows that he or she is weak and sinful and needs to be rescued. And and who gets Jesus' perfect um, record credited uh, to their account. My rule as a pastor is not to tell you that God will protect you from this or anything else. My rule is to walk with you through this hard in a situation where where we cannot meet, of course. But my rule is to point you as well to the chief shepherd who is always with us, who restores our soul, who leads us in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He will lead us safely through to the other side to be with himself. Great suffering is not a sign of a great sinner. Think about Job. He was described as blameless and upright before God. Not perfect, but but heading in a a Godward direction, living by faith. And look what happened to him. He he suffered plenty. Plenty of calamity, plenty of loss. He, He lost so much, it was incredible. Thirdly, this morning, consider when we listen to Jesus. What we cannot say is that George was a bad sinner, and so George got sick or tragedy befell George. What we can say is that George is a sinner and lives in a world ruined by sin in general. And whether George is a Christian or not, this is where he lives. Jesus does not allow us to think like that about sick people or victims of tragedy. People are not personally, directly, individually responsible for all that comes their way. They're living in a, in a world ruined by sin and things like this happen and they happen to Christians too. We're tempted to simplify. But Jesus says no to each of these. These simplifications. Yes we know that God uh, is holy. He cannot abide sin. He hates sin. He, he judges sin. But we're not allowed to, to come to this sort of conclusion. For, for we're all sinners anyway as I said. And if you try to oversimplify God and his ways, you can come up with some very wrong answers. Let me give you an example. Think about about what we're told about God himself. Uh, Knowing that that the Father is God. It's very clear in scripture that the Father is God. And then we read uh, that the Son is also God. Uh, when, when, uh, when When Thomas answers Jesus with my Lord and my God in John 20, he doesn't correct him because he knows he's got it right. And then we read about God the Spirit uh, in, in that incident with Ananias and Sapphira when, when they're told they, they lied to the Holy Spirit. Next line, they lied to God. The Holy Spirit is God. And so we could simplify from there and say, yes, that there must be three gods. Not so. 
there are not three gods. For God is, is not simple. He's complex. Uh, and his ways are so beyond us. God is sovereign and he is in control. He's just and he's good and he's not the author of evil. But he can, in a strange way, fulfill his purposes through it. God runs the switchboard of the world. And it's a seriously big switchboard. And with many wires and connections and it's complex. Jesus doesn't let us guess or counter guess what's going on. He cautions against that. So to figure out the why and the reason for some of of God's dark providences as some have, have, have rightly called it. Well that's beyond our pay grade. But then again is that a surprise? When we consider the ways and the workings of God. The one who is beyond us in so many ways. Habakkuk. He wanted to know how, how, how a good and just God could, could use a, a more wicked nation to judge a less wicked one. How could you use the Babylonians to, to judge the people of Judah? It made no sense to him. But God didn't tell him why. He just said that he had to trust him. He had to rely on him. And we find that famous line in Habakkuk 2, verses, verse 4, Martin Luther's famous maxim, The righteous shall live by faith. Job, of course, wanted his day in court with God. He wanted to know why all this had happened to him. But in the end, God speaks and, as it were, blows him away. He asks him, Where were you when I made the earth? He asks him, Where were you when, when I made the mighty creatures of the deep? And what does Job do? He, he admits that God is well above him in his pay grade. Job 42 verse 3. Therefore I uttered what I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Finally we see when one reason always applies. Jesus doesn't leave the people with no response. He gives them something. Did you notice? He he tells them what to do when tragedy comes. He he gives us insight into some of the reason for it. He he gives us enough for our pay grade. You could put it like that. He gives us enough for a faithful believer to trust. When there's another mass shooting in the US. When there's a pile up on the motorway. Or a building falls with people inside. He tells us how to react when the world is in turmoil over a virus. And it's the same reason whether you can blame Pilate or whether it's a pure accident. It's repeated twice just so we don't miss it. Verses 3 and verse 5. No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you shall all likewise perish. When things like this happen, we're supposed to see it as a great big flashing sign. We're supposed to see a great big enormous neon sign that you get at Piccadilly Circus or in Las Vegas or something with one word on it. And it says, repent. Repent. If you're not a Christian, you're supposed to be concerned. And you're supposed to be moved to action. You're supposed to consider life and death and heaven and hell. Jesus says you're supposed to think about what really matters. And some people are beginning to think as the world quakes under their feet like never before. And opportunities are increasing. And what are we to do when we start to think like this? Well, you're supposed to do what Jesus says in Mark chapter 1 verse 15. Repent and believe the gospel. 
Repent or you will all likewise perish, says Jesus. This teaches us about time, about urgency. These people had no time. When tragedy came, the hourglass of their lives ran out very, very quickly. It slipped away so fast. You need to think about the clock, says Jesus. You don't need to repent when you think your hour will come. You need to repent now. You need Christ now. You need him right now. If you're a Christian, you're supposed to to bring back into focus what really matters in life in times like this. If you're a Christian, you're supposed to be reminded of, of the gospel too. Not to lose heart if it doesn't make sense. But to turn to God and say... You are God and I am not. Uh, Like Job, to to, to trust. To remember the gospel that is repent and believe. Because that relationship with Jesus is the one thing that really matters. That's what will see you through. That that is is what will strengthen you. When when all all of your personal resources run flat out. They may wonder if God is using the present crisis to speak loudly into our ears when we spent so long with our hands over them. But he's certainly using it to tell us to repent. Because Jesus says he has. To fall before him and say, I'm a sinful man, forgive me. I'm a sinful woman, forgive me. For, for, for that is, is what Jesus says clearly here. And if you're thinking about the important things, then that's the right thing to do. Do come to find Jesus and in him your everything. Come to God in the person of Jesus and turn from your sins and and find in him the forgiveness that you need. Find in him the the good shepherd who who leads you through all the rugged paths and the steep slopes and safely home. Don't miss the sign when it flashes on the news or in social media. God is speaking to you. He's he's speaking to you in the circumstances of life. He can do that. And and, and he's saying in clear terms that you need to turn to him again. Repenting is not something you do once. It's something you do all the time. If you're a sinner saved by God's grace. For we're not done with that old man or woman just yet. And in that circumstance, we find God saying to us, trust me. Live by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. Ask God for the faith today. Ask him for the strength to live um, on your own. To protect the lives of others. Ask him for the strength to be there for other people. Even though you feel like you're not that strong in resources yourself. To to ring your church friends. To to ring your family. uh, to, to, To ring people when you're feeling lonely. To strengthen each other's faith. That's your rule right now. Ask him that you, that, that you know Jesus closer in this present circumstance. Ask, ask him that he will use this to grow your relationship with the Lord. For of course we will spend eternity with him. We may as well start as we mean to go on. Therefore comfort one another with these words. Let's pray together. Father give us faith and trust in your workings and your purposes we submit to you this is not our way but this is your way and we pray for your good hand to work through it for your purposes none can falter you are the great God 
You are the one who knows the end from the beginning. And we trust you for that is what it means to be a Christian. Amen. We're going to sing together now. I'm going to pop a, a link up for a song called Sovereign Over Us. Uh, please join in with us. The words will be on the screen. And uh, may God bless you in this week. And uh, see you soon. Goodbye. Thank you.